Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Thursday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Opening round of the Masters underway. And yeah, the guy who everybody wants to see his name at the top of the leaderboard. Well, right now, at least for now, it is at the top of the leaderboard. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Brian Haydad. Glad to have you along on this Thursday Sports uh, Thursday Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online. You can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Borky, I must confess, I allowed time to get away from me. I looked up at the clock. It was 3.06. I did not have my headphones plugged in. I was busy <laughs> plotting uh, with a Sharpie and a, a printout of the course, all the lines, so I would have everything close to me and, and there for uh, you know, quick reference as we were talking about uh, the Masters today. Uh, Tiger just dropped a shot. He is now two under as he bogeys the par four seventeenth. John Rahm, Adam Scott, Justin Harding, Gary Woodland, and Patton Kazire all at three under par so far. An absolutely gorgeous day in Augusta for round one. What's up, Bort? Oh, well, first of all, good news, a little update. An offer was accepted on the house today. Hey! Yeah. Congratulations! So the, the, that stressful part is uh, is over. Now I get to pay a bunch of closing costs. But uh, happy Masters Thursday, by the way. Tiger Woods. Tell me about the house. Um, it's under what our budget was, which is a big plus, and okay. um, it's got a huge backyard with a couple of really big pine trees in it. It's it's exactly what we we're looking for. Hardwood floors throughout, except for. One bedroom. Everything else is hardwood. Kitchen okay. is relatively new. It was built in the mid-90s, so it's not a new house. But uh, the previous owner did some updating, so it feels newer when you walk in. You had a fenced-in backyard? Oh, yeah. A, a privacy fence as well. Quiet neighborhood. Three doors down from a good college friend of mine who just had a, a three-month-old baby. Uh, so we're extremely satisfied as long as the home inspection works out here in about five weeks, I'll be moving into a, a more permanent home. There you go. Congratulations. Yeah, That's thank awesome. you. Hey, Dad, what's up? You didn't happen to uh, close on a house today, did you? No, no. I, I closed on a house. Or signed like, a contract. You know, I haven't signed a contract or closed on a house or done anything of any kind of legality today. I've, I've been uh, pretty chill today, just watching some golf and watching some soccer. And, uh, yeah. Have you done Ready anything the, involving illegality today? No, no. I've been doing. A, I'm, okay. I'm trying to rest today. I need to get a good night's sleep tonight because tomorrow night I'm not going to get any sleep. That's right. Tomorrow night's night that uh, you stay up all long to uh, to cook ribs. That's right. That's right. I, I was given my marching orders today by the uh, by some of the uh, the team higher ups of what so, I. So so how today. exactly did they phrase? Hey hey dad, stay out of the way. <laughs> they were very nice about it. Okay, like, well, good. They they they, yeah, they picked nice words for that. Yeah, Rippy, you uh, you had your eye on golf all day. No, I spent most of the day writing, um, and then I had class. So I've watched bits and pieces, but not not a lot. Course is playing uh, pretty difficult today, despite the conditions being soft and and there no wind. 
Not a whole lot of scoring out there. But it's still been enjoyable to watch. I mean, it's not like yeah, they're it's not, not like you're killed. watching the U.S. Open with unbelievably penal hole locations and rough. Right. It's still, it's still Augusta. Exactly. That, that's the thing that sets Augusta apart. If they really wanted to make that course impossible, they could. They could make that place the most miserable six hours, because that's how long it would take, of your entire life. But they choose not to. There's no rough at all. If you are in the, quote, rough, you still have a very easy, I say easy, but you can make clean contact with the ball anywhere on the course. The fairways, with the exception of seven, are relatively wide. It's a, it's a golf course that could be made so much more difficult, and the best score today will be three under. 31 players currently under par. The worst score of the day belongs to former champion Angel Cabrera. He shot a 10 over 82. Ian Woosnam, former champion as well, plus 8. He shoots an 80. Uh, those numbers, though, are in jeopardy because Vijay Singh is on the course plus 7 through 12 holes. It was not one of those days where Fred Couples put up a big number or put up a good number. Uh, he shoots six over par, shoots uh, 78 in his opening round. Top of the leaderboard, though, is uh, it's pretty crowded right now. Justin Harding, Adam Scott, Gary Woodland, John Rahm, and Patton Kazire all at three under par. Kazire on the course still at three under through 15. Uh, Corey Connors, who was the, uh, the Monday qualifier last week, um, got into the tournament, won the tournament last week, and therefore qualified for the Masters. Continues to play well. He's tied for sixth, two under par in a group with J.B. Holmes, Lucas, is it Vergegaard? Is we'll that what we're that. going with? Or, or is it Jerigard? Rippy, you're a golf guy. Pretty sure the J's silent. So just Burgard? Burgard. Burgard. Tiger Woods, Ricky Fowler, Cam Smith, Thorbjorn, Olison. Uh, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, and Phil Mickelson, who just birdied number eight, all at two under par. And then you get a bunch of guys at one under as well. Mostly all like top 80 players at the top of the leaderboard. Aren't there only like 80 players in the entire field? 87. Yeah. Still only 87. Good. That's still pretty good, though. Like, there's no like surprise. There's not really any surprising names. I say top 80. It's mostly really top 50, top 60. You've got the names you want up there, is, is the point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Hey, so I've got a buddy of mine that was there today. And just a, a quick little story. Earlier this week, I uh, I paid $1.29 for the Masters ringtone. So the music, Borky, that we play on, on here from time to time, I have it in a 26-second clip. And I just plugged it in to be the ringtone. And normally I keep my phone on silent, but this week I've kept it on ring a little bit more. So I'm taking the kids to school this morning. Phone's sitting there, and it's plugged in so that it you know goes through the speakers because the kids like to listen to music on the way to school. And all of a sudden, the Masters music chimes in. I go, oh, Jane must be calling me. I must have forgotten something to the house. Pick up the phone, and the number is from Augusta, Georgia. So this that, that starts ringing on my phone. I look down, and it's Augusta, and I'm like, okay, is this? This would be a really weird robocall early in the morning. Turns out it's my buddy who is, is at Augusta. He just sent me a picture. He and his dad just left. So it's 4.15 uh, in the Eastern time zone. He was telling me about the uh, the relatively new ice cream sandwich on the menu. $2 for a peach ice cream sandwich. It's mm. Georgia peach ice cream sandwiched between two sugar cookies. 
You know yeah. what he did as he was leaving the course? He bought an entire case of them. <laughs> he bought 27 Georgia peach ice cream sandwiches that he is putting in a cooler on ice for the entire ride home so that as he slash we watch the Masters this weekend, it's almost as if we're there eating Georgia peach sugar cookie ice cream sandwiches. At $2 a pop, that's basically wholesale anyway. Exactly. So what, 54 bucks for a case of ice cream sandwiches straight from the Masters? Worth it. I love it. Totally worth it. Yes, absolutely totally worth it. With uh, no disrespect intended, uh, hey, Dad, I think it'll be better than your ribs. Probably. I don't know. Little rib ribs guys, are good. So that... I've had these guys' ribs. They're good. Hey, we're going to do more this afternoon than just talk golf and just talk Masters. And for some of you, that is an absolute relief. And for some of you, it's like, hey, it's Masters week. We're okay with talking Masters. What's coming up? David DeLucci will join us. We'll talk some college baseball with him. He's seen Georgia a bunch lately. Did a couple of their games last weekend and uh, also had their midweek game against Georgia Tech. So we'll talk some SEC baseball with David DeLucci from the SEC Network. John Gassaway from ESPN.com will join us. We'll kind of put a bow on college basketball season. His thoughts on the championship game and the Virginia story, but also some of these coaching hires in the SEC. I was having a conversation with a friend earlier today uh, who basically echoed the sentiment that we have had here. Man, life has gotten difficult in the SEC to win basketball games. And, uh, you know, outside of... uh, Outside of the hire at Vanderbilt, where Jerry Stackhouse is very much an unknown, it's pretty pretty quality hires, it appears, by schools that had openings this year. Southern Miss is now looking for a basketball coach, as Doc Sadler has announced his resignation. And all the reports are, I kind of heard about this late last night, that uh, he was going to be stepping down and was most likely going back to Nebraska to join Fred Hoiberg as an assistant coach. We'll talk a little bit more about what Doc Sadler had to say in his uh, resignation press conference earlier today. Mississippi State gets a win in uh, baseball last night over South Alabama. Maybe not the runaway win that you thought, but uh, a victory nonetheless. How about a comparison? Ole Miss and Mississippi State to a more name-brand program in the SEC, but is that name-brand program really a better job? Also, some Michael Avenetti news, if you can stomach it. A lot to get to with you this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started on Masters Thursday with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. can text the show anytime it is convenient to you. 601-879-4395 is the number for the ceasefire text line. Ceasefire reminds you to please not text and drive. The ceasefire text movement, I'm sorry, not text movement, it's the ceasefire text line. The ceasefire tech, T-E-C-H, movement initiative is moving our region forward through teaching and technology that strengthens our economy, positions it for success in today's digital age, and improves the quality of life in our communities. Join the movement today at cspire.com slash tech, M-V-M-T, cspire, customer inspired. Uh, Eric in Batesville says, y'all should watch the Masters and give a shot-by-shot commentary. I just can't decide who should be the color guy. 
out of our crew, who should be the analyst? Who should be Nick Faldo? Rippy, because those one-liners are perfect for golf. Yeah. There you go. Who's in the tower at 16? I don't think any hey, of us can even hold a candle to Vern up there. Well, okay, so we'll just make the other two of you on-course reporters. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. That works for me. I mean, I guess one of you could be the play-by-play guy if you wanted to. As long as I can follow uh, Brooks Kepka's group and just rip on his hat for the entire round, I'll be good. It really is disgusting, isn't it? It's the ugliest oh, piece of clothing that any man has ever put on their body in the history of the world. Well, that you, you, Ricky for, Fowler's first like four years on tour would vehemently disagree. Give me the orange over that. Eh, you've also forgotten about Duffy Waldorf and uh, what Woody Austin used to wear when he was on tour. And whatever Bryson DeChambeau puts on his head. If I would prefer... I hate the Tam O'Shanter as much as you do. I would prefer that over this garbage from Brooks Kepka. Yeah, the the Brooks Kepka hat. I mean, with with no disrespect intended to the good folks of Panama City, looks like he went into one of those you know get anything stores in Panama City, and uh, had the uh, the PC Beach. I haven't even logo seen the hat, but I can see it in my head just based on this yeah. description. You're really yeah, it's nailing like it. it. It's like a blue floral thing with a PCB logo on it. Um, not exactly. It's got a swoosh instead, but uh, yeah, not the best look for um, uh, for. Uh, your boy Brooks Kepka, although you know how much he cares what you think, honestly, well, especially because Nike's paid him a few million bucks to put that thing on his head. I think he'll be all right. Is there yeah. a picture of this? Well, just uh, watch the TV. They'll show him from time to time. Dan in Charleston uh, says, "Hate to hear that Doc is leaving Hattiesburg. Whoever they hire will have a tough act to follow." Yeah, I agree with you on that front, Dan. So the the news out of Hattiesburg began to leak last night. He uh, resigned as head coach earlier today. It was a difficult stretch for Doc Sadler, but really an impressive job, I think, given the circumstances that um, that he was handed. I mean, he took the program over following the I don't know, the disaster that was uh, left behind. Why, why can I not think of oh Donnie Tyndall? was the uh, the coach before him. So Donnie Tindall leaves, gets the Tennessee job, looks like he's got it moving in the right direction. Then the whole NCAA thing blows up at Southern Miss. So since 2014, Doc Sadler has been the head coach of the Golden Eagles. Listen to this run. 3-20, and 8-21, and 9-22. All right, so that's a tough three-year start. But in the last two, season, Doc Sad- uh, two seasons, Doc Sadler has had Mississippi State at 16-18, and 18, and then twenty and thirteen this year, they went eleven and seven in conference USA play, and then were eliminated in the first round of the CBI. So, if you went through all that, why leave to go be an assistant at a bottom feeding Big Ten school? Well, the the quotes from Doc Sadler today were that he didn't want to be the uh, he didn't want to be a head coach anymore. He says, as a coach, one of the things that I always try to do is prepare my players for life, and hopefully, I have lived by that example. With the support of my family, I've decided it's time for me to take a step back from being a head coach. I feel very comfortable doing that, as I know I am leaving this program in a good position. After 16 years as a college head coach, it's time to evaluate what's next for me. With a new athletic director in place and a talented young team, I feel that the best days are ahead for Southern Miss basketball. Uh, He just wanted to not be a head coach and have all the responsibility that goes with it, but I think more than that, He's on his way to Lincoln now to go visit with Fred Hoiberg. But this feels like Fred Hoiberg called him and said, I want you to be on my staff. 
and here's what we're going to pay you, and you don't have the stress of being a head coach. Southern Miss is a hard job. It's a hard job. And he's had to grind big time for the last five years to get it back to a place of respectability. So I don't think you can do a whole lot other than, forgive the cliche, but tip your cap to Doc Sadler for the job that he did. I don't know exactly what he was making as the head coach at at Southern Miss. My guess is that he will get a comparable number as an assistant at Nebraska. And Nebraska's been really close for the last couple of years with Tim Miles. And it's a place he's already been a head coach for seven years. And was really liked there. I think Doc Sadler's one of those guys that's really liked everywhere he goes. Any thoughts on this? Hey, Dad, Borky? That's, that's just a tough, tough pill to swallow if you're USM. I mean, if you don't know all of the extra stuff and all you hear is our head coach left to be an assistant. That's a that's a tough that's that's tough to hear, you know. If it makes you feel that, you know, your your program, you know, isn't what you want it to be. Now that said, like you said, and like Doc Sadler said in his statement, he left a, a pretty good nucleus behind. You've got a, a young, exciting athletic director coming in, and this is a great, you know. Hey, I don't think he was expecting to get his first test as an AD this early in his tenure, but no. it, it's come now, and and we'll see what he does. Yeah, we're about to learn about Jeremy McLean right out of the gate. Here's what Jeremy McLean said. I want to thank Doc Sadler for his time, effort, and commitment to the University of Southern Mississippi and our men's basketball program. He inherited a very difficult situation five years ago, but has done an outstanding job putting our program in a positive position going forward. We wish he and his family the very best on the next step in their journey. Our attention now turns to student-athletes within our program to find the right leader to help them continue to grow as athletes and as men. Um. So Doc Sadler going back to Nebraska and Jeremy McLean, what, a week after being hired, is in the position of finding a new head basketball coach. I mean, nothing like uh, having that on your table right out of the gate. You're trying to learn everybody's name. I guess the good news for Jeremy McLean is that he has been there before and probably didn't have to ask directions for where his office was and didn't doesn't have to have a map or GPS constantly out as he makes his way um around Hattiesburg to figure out where he goes to eat and where he goes to church and how to get to the office and where his new house is. Would you almost prefer it that way? I mean, you don't want to lose Doc Sadler considering what he did after the NCAA mess just hammered that program. I mean, he's a veteran coach who started winning games there. But if you're an athletic director, don't you want to bring in your own people? So isn't this a good opportunity for him to do so right out of the gate? I mean, I, I, again, I know you you don't want to see a guy like Doc Sadler leave, but if you're an incoming AD, getting to put your staple on the athletic department immediately with a major three-sport hire, I mean, there's probably worse situations to come into. Um, I would agree with that. And, and, and listen, the biggest job that an athletics director does outside of raising money is hiring coaches. And that's how you put your stamp on your program. Uh, and so an opportunity for Jeremy McLean to do this. Text message says uh, Doc was making 350000 Uh Somebody points out Jay Ladner at Southeastern Louisiana is a Southern Miss grad. Seen that name out there a couple times today yeah. from media people. Me too. Not a bad program either. Southeastern Louisiana? Uh, question, I wonder if they'll let Doc wear his jogging pants and T-shirt to the game. <laughs> That's kind of his thing. He started. He said it was the best decision of his career. Started wearing a long sleeve T shirt to the games this year. 
He's got a good I'd wear boy. Kepka's hat seven days a week, by the way. I just saw a picture. Would you? Yeah. Carry on. Okay. Dynamite drop in, Monty. That says a lot about you. I hope you know that. <laughs> it's not bad. Like it's it's a hideous it looks, hat. It looks bad in person. It may not look bad on your computer screen there, but you would wear Ricky Fowler's Puma orange flat bill over that thing. Well, I think flat bill should be banned from the PGA Tour, but that's a different I, conversation. I, I didn't say that I would. Bork, no, I, I was looking at you. Borky said that give me that every day of the week over Kepka's hat. What's the price tag? Borky, you would look like a moron in that flat bill orange oh my puma God. cap. I'm glad I don't like them because I could never pull them off. My my head shape and body type just doesn't work with a flat bill hat. That was like all the rage when, uh, like Ricky, when I was in junior golf, like Ricky was like becoming a big thing on tour. You started seeing more and more kids wearing the puma stuff. Like you'd see him on the putting green, but like, that guy. Yeah. Uh, Dale in Hattiesburg says Jay Ladner, and he says keep Weatherspoon too. Be a nice, uh, nice transition. Some stability, and, and I've used that word several times lately. With the hiring of Jeremy McLean, what you hope is that you've got some stability. But I thought that in that stability conversation, it was Doc Sadler as the head basketball coach, and Jay is the football coach, and Scott Barry is the baseball coach. But now it's going to be a new basketball coach, and you hope whoever it is can provide that stability for the entire department. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Renaissance Bank Studio. Glad to have you along on this Thursday afternoon. Let's talk some baseball. Mississippi State got a win over South Alabama. How did it happen? That's when we come back in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Do you have five minutes in your day? If you don't, well, we understand. No no big deal. But if you do, if you could spare five minutes right uh, right now, later this afternoon, later this evening, right before you go to bed, sometime when you wake up in the morning, our guy, Brian Scott Rippey, could really use your help. You see, in about four weeks, Rippey, barring disaster, is scheduled to get his master's degree. But there's this matter of a project remaining. It's about the only thing left between himself and the finish line of a master's degree, and no more school ever, and no more dumb excuses for why he can't come on the show because he's got to go to a stupid class. Or something like that. So here's the deal. Rippy has a survey project that is due. And he needs about 250 responses to this survey. It will take you less than five minutes. Let's be honest. None of us are going to know if you're answering the questions truthfully or not. It doesn't really matter. What we need is answers to the survey. I'm going to tweet the link. We're going to tweet the link as well from Sports Talk Mississippi. The Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. You look like you have something you want to say. Well, this professor listens sometimes, so the non-truthfully part, scratch that, Dr. Bodie. He was joking. No, I guess we want you to answer truthfully. I'm just saying we don't know how to fact check you. <laughs> just let the record show I didn't say that. You can answer however you want, though. Answer the questions in the survey uh, however you want. It, it, it Does it matter if they're Ole Miss fans, Mississippi State fans, Southern Miss fans, fans of Tuskegee? Well, it's an Ole Miss football season ticket holder survey. Okay. So, uh, 
I guess do you I, actually have to be a season ticket holder to fill it out? At some point, that would be that would be helpful. Okay. Um, okay, this was information that it would have been nice for you to have given me. Well, the title of the survey is Ole Miss Season Football Ticket Renewal. I haven't read the title of the survey. You just gave me a link, okay? So you didn't take it? Not yet. Okay. You sent me the link three minutes ago. This is fantastic. I'm trying to get to 250 people to help you graduate. I appreciate that, and I will send you a piece of my diploma if you take this. That would be good. Are you going to walk for, for the uh, master's graduation ceremony? Um, Cap and gown? Big graduation party. I think we should do the show live from Rippy's graduation ceremony. That's a oh, horrible man. idea. There will be no party. Uh, TBA Do you have any sort of a prize that you want to offer uh, for people who fill out the survey? Or does that get, go against survey rules? Um, it probably goes against the rules, but like, if you take this survey and are in Oxford like sometime in the next month, I'll like, buy you a beer or something. Okay. Everybody that takes it? Yeah. If they're 21 or older. 250 times 4 is? That'd be $1,000, but I mean... That's chump whatever. change for Brian Scott Rippey. I mean, when you got a master's degree, yeah, no. just making it rain. Start getting people to call me doctor, even though that's not what the degree implies, but... I can call do you master. I want. We'll go with master yeah. instead. Uh, master Rippey. I like that. Well, Rippey will be the only master's degree holding... Member of our little band of fellows here, right? Correct. I would imagine. Factual. Yeah. I toyed with the idea a couple of times of uh, of getting an, an MBA. I, I just can't come up with a good reason at this point to get one. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll send that out in a second. Stan says quit talking about it and send out the survey. Uh, he's that's, Stan uh, wants I'll that beer. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. Seven to five, Mississippi State last night over South Alabama. Hey, Dad, what do we need to know? That Tanner Allen played really, really well, and that is another uh, big key for Mississippi State. You know, he had a home run on Sunday against Tennessee, and you know, you're thinking, okay, maybe he's going to come out of this slump. He goes three for four last night with five RBI. He breaks the game open late with a three-run bomb. I mean, when I say bomb, I mean it. It was all the way out to center field. Um, but on the other hand, if you want to find a negative, uh, the, the the first inning pitching once again was an issue. Jack Egan uh, loads the bases in the first inning. He's able to get out of there with only giving up one run. He only throws two and two-thirds innings, however. So State didn't really get, I think, what it wanted out of its uh, out of its, its midweek starter. They did use four pitchers, including Cole Gordon, in a, a, a two-inning uh, two save. Uh, we talked to Lamonis afterwards, and he said that Barlow and Lee Belt would not. I, I guess they were available in an emergency situation, but he really wanted to give them the night off. So that's why you saw Brandon Smith and Riley Self. Riley Self actually threw pretty well. He just made a mistake there in the eighth and gave up a two-run home run to uh, to USA's Wells Davis. Beyond that, though, a pretty solid night for Mississippi State at the ballpark. And that's one of the reasons State's been in, in good shape all year. They have avoided these midweek woes that have plagued a lot of the other teams in the conference. State hasn't lost a midweek game yet. you know. Now, they obviously have a very tough one coming up in a couple weeks when they play Ole Miss in the midweek. But for the most part, it looks like State might get to that midweek schedule unscathed. And, and when you can do that, and they only have one you know, out-of-conference loss, period. That's to, to Southern, on, to USM, and, and on that Friday night game on that second week of the series, or second week of the season. When you can do that, you really put yourself in great position to host because you just don't have any of those unnecessary losses, especially the ones that drain on your RPI. 
that's obviously a big deal. Um, and you, you give yourself wiggle room with regard to hosting when you don't have stumbles, right? Exactly, yeah. You, I mean, if you're 16 and 14 in the conference, but you only have 15 losses altogether, you're probably going to be a hosting team, no question about that. So, yeah. And by that same token, I, I always look at the 2014 season. State was 18 and 12 in the SEC. You think that, that should be good enough to host. But they had, I, I want to say it was seven non-conference losses, and then that kept them away from the hosting. So it, it's 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 these midweek games are a lot more important than people give them credit for sometimes. And State's done a good job this year of finding ways to win them all. Yeah. Brandon Smith, the winning pitcher, goes to two and zero. Patrick McBride takes the loss. Cole Gordon got his eighth save of the uh, of the year uh, last night, and weather was perfect, wasn't it? Oh, it was Just fantastic gorgeous. at the ballpark last night. Yeah. How was, was the whole really... Game of Thrones thing? It was really well done, and I, you know, I had said on the show I didn't know how they were going to pull that off given the the nature of that show, but they did a really great job. They made it fun. Uh, all of the opposing teams for their uh, on the on the on the uh, jumbotron, you didn't see their face. You saw the face of some reviled character. From uh, I felt bad for the poor guy who got to be Ramsey Bolton. It was it, he he couldn't have enjoyed that. And beyond that, you know, it was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed what I was doing on social media too, finding a lot of uh of funny uh, pictures and stuff to go with the uh, the game flow. Sports Talk Mississippi, you can text the show 601-879-4395. Did you go to the bat chair? I, I saw it. I, w- I was standing right next to it, but there was a long line, and I was just like, I'm not worried with that. You didn't go back later to take a picture? No, I did not after the game, no. Could you not have, like, said it was for work and flashed your media credential and got into the front of the line and jumped into the chair. You know, and I pro- maybe, maybe I could have, and there were some people I knew who were standing right there, but I just didn't. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, anything else going into the weekend? Is there anything that, that is a carryover from this game one way or the other rolling into Alabama this weekend? Maybe not from this game so much, but we obviously we did talk to Lamonis after and talked about JT Ginn. He seems pretty adamant that whatever is bothering Ginn, and he didn't give us you know a real update on what the injury or, or anything is, but he, he made it pretty clear. He's like, this is not a major thing, and he and we could see him this weekend. He made it clear that he didn't think, if even if he started, it may not be a five, six, seven inning ordeal. He may only get three or four innings out of him. But he feels like he, he might be able to give it a go. It's still wait and see with that, so we'll see what happens when State announces it its rotation. I won't be completely surprised if they they do TBA TBA for Saturday and Sunday. But on the positive side, it, it does sound like that whatever's bothering JT Ginn is not something that's going to keep him out more than maybe this weekend and maybe one more weekend beyond that. Just from what I'm hearing from Lamonis. Well, and unless something changes, it's not TBA TBA. The SEC release that has the pitching uh, matchups has Ethan Small in Game One. Peyton Plumley in Game Two, and then TBA for Game Three. Okay, I haven't seen I haven't seen a release from State on that, so it's very possible though. I mean, like yeah, I said, that was... came uh, that came from the SEC office at one o'clock. So it'll be Sam Finnerty for Alabama against Ethan Small for Mississippi State in Game One. Game Two will be Brock Love against Peyton Plumley, and then the old unnamed starter to be announced for uh, both teams in Game Three. And that makes a little sense in terms of, you know, Ginn did throw last Sunday. It was only an inning, but it, that would be a full seven days of rest if he's able to, if they want to throw him out there this weekend. Yeah. This doesn't feel like it's about rest, though, does it? No, it, it doesn't. Well, uh, at least, uh, uh, well, maybe I should, not that it's not about rest, but not that it's 
about rest in a specific seven-day injury. Right. This this is there's some sort of, of injury that we don't have the information about. I think it's pretty obvious at that point. Now, obviously, I'm just speculating because nobody said for sure, but it, it feels like it's just they're they're just trying to take it slow and make sure everything's good because you need this kid for the for the long haul, and you don't want to be the coach who blew out a first round pick's arm. So you, you they're going to take all the precautions with him. Yeah, that's uh, not um, not the name tag that you want. You don't want that on your resume. What are the matchups this weekend? What about the standings? We'll look at those as we get set. A couple of games coming up tonight in Southeastern Conference baseball action. We'll also take a look at the leaderboard at the Masters when we come back in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, who is currently in a state of scramble. He's trying to figure out why the survey's not working exactly the way that he wants it uh, to. Uh, so bear with us. We'll get it right. Uh, let's take a look at the uh, the Masters leaderboard quickly. Justin Harding, Adam Scott, John Rahm. Those are the three guys at three under par. Then you've got Corey Connors, J.B. Holmes, Lucas Burgard, Gary Woodland, Tiger Woods, Ricky Fowler, Cam Smith, Patton Kazire, Thorbjorn Olsen, Kevin Na, Ian Poulter, Matt Kuchar, and Dustin Johnson all at two under par. Currently, there are 27 players under par or better. Well, under par. Uh, even or worse uh, starts at the tie for 28th. And uh, that's what's happening right now at Augusta. Weather is absolutely perfect. At the National today. Baseball coming up this weekend. Two series begin tonight. South Carolina at Florida. Game one is coming up tonight. So is Georgia at Tennessee. Will you guys watch either of those games? Those don't really those don't really, you know, catch my fancy. I got football practice tonight anyway, but that said, probably not. Like a team that you're playing on or you're going to talk to the Mississippi State people? I'm going to talk to Joe Moorhead tonight. Sorry, I just I, you said you had football practice. I didn't know if that meant that you had signed up for something that you hadn't oh, shared with us my, all. My, those days are gone forever. I should just let them go. I would love the opportunity, if somebody at Ole Miss or Mississippi State or Southern Miss is listening, to participate in practice and do drills and stuff just to see how much better athletically all of you are than me. I would love to do that one time. Get it on video, hey, content, you know. Moorhead said to us, you know, while they were at Penn State, J- James Franklin let the beat writers field punts during the spring game, and he mentioned us doing that. I want to do more uh, than field punts, though. Well, I, I don't want to field punts at all. I'm well, like <laughs> a f- bigger fool of myself than I normally do. I want to try to B- rush Borky. the passer. But hey, Michael, Michael, you, you hear me? You there? No. You 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 broke your foot jogging down the road just a year ago. <laughs> I know what? that. I'm not Why saying, do you want to put on full pads and cleats and go play participate in a college football practice? Because that would be so much fun. I mean, I would get lit You're not worried up. about what you would break? No. So what? It's football. If you break something, big deal. I broke my neck playing football. I can't get much worse than that. By all means, then, let's go see if we can replicate that. I, I'm not talking, like, give me a handoff when we're doing full-speed Oklahoma drills or anything. I'm talking, like, let me do some ISO drills or something. Let me run the passer try to 
runner route on a DB to impress coverage. I want to get embarrassed, but that would be fun for me. I would like to try it. (laughs) Set it up. I I know all three of you know people that can get that set up. Set that up. I'll do it. I'm not sure that university insurance policies will allow for your dream to become a reality. That is a a concern right there. LSU's at Missouri this weekend. Kentucky is at Ole Miss. Auburn is at Texas A&M. Alabama in Starkville as part of Super Bulldog weekend. And Arkansas is at Vanderbilt. So Arkansas, Vandy, uh, a couple of top ten teams going at it there. I I guess I look at the whole baseball and TV thing a little bit differently than you. Hey, Dad, it's like you either want to watch Mississippi State or a game that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, I sat up till midnight the other night watching Oregon and Oregon State. So... Maybe we're just kind of coming at it from a different place. Yeah, and that's fine. And I just, I don't have, I don't have the national interest in college baseball. It's very regional for me. I'll, I'll watch the SEC teams. It's, it's, it's the opposite for me for college football. I'll watch anything, but for basketball and baseball, I, I try, I'm pretty regional in my, uh, my viewing. Yeah, Georgia on top of the East at nine and three. Then you got Vanderbilt at seven and five. But for all purposes, uh, practical purposes, Georgia has a three-game lead over Vanderbilt because they won that series last weekend, and they've got the tiebreaker. I don't even know why we mention Missouri's record anymore other than their ability to play the role of spoiler. At 5-6-1, and one, they're not eligible for the postseason. Tennessee and Florida are both 4-8 and eight in the East, and South Carolina at 3-9, and nine, and Kentucky at 2-10. and 10. Kentucky and Oxford this weekend to take on Ole Miss. Three-way tie at the top of the West. Arkansas, Ole Miss, and LSU all 8-4. and four. Texas A&M, because of their tie with Missouri, is the odd guy, 7-4-1. and one. Mississippi State and Auburn tied for fifth at 7-5. and five. And Alabama is 4-8. and eight. So those are the, the records, the kind of the standings right now. Don't you? Wouldn't it be really, really difficult at this point to pick the SEC Western Division winner? Impossible. Too I mean, you might get lucky because there are only seven options. Right. Well, I mean, there's really only six. Alabama's not going to win it. But, True. Yeah. I mean, you're just you're just throwing darts at the board. I don't think Auburn's going to win it either. No. I, I think the, they could. I think Auburn's got issues. What'd you say now? They could. They could, but you're right, they have issues. And not going to win it without a healthy Davis Daniel. And that hasn't been the case for the last few weeks. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Mississippi into the four o'clock hour with you on this Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, and Brian Haydad. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, or land refinancing needs, the Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and everything that goes with it for over 100 years. So if you need to borrow the money to buy a piece of property, you need to refinance an existing loan, maybe you need a production loan, crop loans for the uh, for the upcoming year, 
or uh, it's just to buy a piece of equipment, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've got locations all across North Mississippi. You can also find the phone number on their website, again, mslandbank.com for Mississippi Land Bank. Um, Borky, let, let's go to this this idea that you've thrown out. I, that You say this came from a Twitter conversation that you saw, um, I guess, earlier in the week, or, or maybe last week. Yeah, it was Barrett Salee and, and Hey Dad's cousin, of all people, were going back and forth about okay. um, whether or not Tennessee was a better job than Mississippi State specifically, but it, it got me thinking because Barrett's answer, and most people in sports media's answer would be definitively Tennessee is a better job than Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Okay. But my question is, is it any more? And if it still is, has the gap closed? And how much has it closed? I'll start. Yes, it is a better job than Ole Miss and Mississippi State. But the gap has absolutely closed from the 1990s and early 2000s. Okay. I agree with that. The gap is definitely closed. I would say that right now, and I don't know, people are going to get mad, but I don't know that I would, I would say Ole Miss is a better job because I want to see them come out from the NCAA stuff and see where they are at the end of this season. But for State, I think State's a better job than Tennessee right now, but I will say that the ceiling at Tennessee is much, much higher. Tennessee is a program that can, you know, has a national brand. They have a lot more support. They have a lot more money. But right now, I mean, for the and for the past basically five, six, seven years, State has been a better team than Tennessee. And you know, if you're talking about a job, it's 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 going to be a little easier for you at Mississippi State. The expectations aren't as high. Uh, you've got plenty of money coming in for facilities. You've got top notch. Great stadium, great in, you know, great practice facility. There's supposed to be you know some some early rumblings about an indoor facility coming. Um, you've got good support. I think state's a better job than Tennessee right now, but you know we can. That's something that could flip very very easily if Jeremy Pruitt gets it going. They they could easily exceed Mississippi State. It wouldn't take a whole lot of effort. All right. So again, walk me through your reasons, but then give me a, a chance to counter them. I think that just right now, State is, is a better program because they have more talent on campus. Uh, there's not a lot of, of turmoil on campus. I mean, honestly, you know, the Phil Fulmer, to me, is, is, a, is a bit of a uh, – now, Tennessee fans are going to disagree with me. But I feel he's he's a bit of a, of a negative, to be honest with you. I feel like he's a guy who's looking over your shoulder at all times. I think, he's, I think honestly, in his heart, he still probably believes he should be coaching the team. I don't, I don't. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. It, so, so let me jump in there. I would agree with the way that Phil Fulmer got the job. It's a negative. Mm-hmm. But if you want to go way back to the early 1990s and really look at how Phil Fulmer got the head football coaching job, same thing. It it was through backstabbing, stabbing, yeah. and conniving, and, and an exactly. internal power play. Right. Look, F- Phil Fulmer executed to perfection a coup. To take over the athletics director job. Yeah. Now, with that said, 
Tennessee as a department, I think, is more stable than it's been right now. Uh, right now is more stable than it's been in a long time. But it's not more tired of new women's basketball say. coach. They got Jeremy Pruitt. He just figured things out with Rick Barnes. Tony Vitello seems to be doing a good job of baseball. And Tennessee fans like Phil Fulmer. They may not like the way, like some may not like the way he went about getting the job, but most would say that was necessary. And the other, the main reason I think state's a better job is if, you know, if you're talking about, we're not talking about better program. We're talking about better job. The reason it's a better job is the expectation level is just lower at state. You know, right now, Mississippi State fans, if you say, hey, this year you're going to finish third in the West, every state fan's probably going to take that. Third in the West probably means you went nine and three. You're going to be going to a really good bowl game. Tennessee fans don't wouldn't take third in the East. They wouldn't. There's why are we third? We should be competing for the, the championship. This is a program that hasn't beaten Alabama in over a decade, but they still think that they're still on that same level. So for me, you know, if you're talking about a better job, you know, how long can I coach winning seven, eight games a year? It has to come into that. Here's the here's this is a, a kind of an odd little qualifier that I would put in, and and you may say that this is dumb. But I would say that it depends on who the coach is as to whether or not it's a better job, which really is saying who's got a better coach. Mm. With the right coach in place, I don't even think there's a debate that Tennessee is a better job. With Derek Dooley in place, it's absolutely not a better job if Mississippi State has a good coach. So if you're saying with Derek Dooley at Tennessee and Dan Mullen at Mississippi State, Mississippi State's a better job? I would say, okay, in the presence with those guys or in the present with those guys in place, if those were the two head coaches, yes, I would agree with that. And probably would agree with that with Bush Jones in place as well. Yeah. I mean that's the thing, but, like I said, it it can change really quickly because Tennessee has the support, the money, the tradition to be a national be a national brand again. The, the question I would ask you is, well, why haven't they done that? And it's been 11, you know, Fulmer left in 08. Because they've had terrible it's, leadership. Well, they've had terrible leadership, and they've had terrible coaches. And, and you know, I, one thing that always, you know, I always sort of raise my eyebrow at is, when I talk about State having been to nine straight bowls, everybody's like, oh, it's so easy to go to a bowl. Okay. Well, why hasn't everybody done it? Tennessee isn't, doesn't have nine straight bowl games. Florida doesn't have nine straight bowl games. You know, there are a lot of teams in the, in the country that don't have nine straight bowl games, even though yeah, it's a lot easier than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. In fairness, it wouldn't be nine straight without a strong APR score. But it, it doesn't matter. They got in. I mean, in fairness, you know, 20 years ago, six and six. Uh, in 1997, State was seven and four and got left out of a bowl game. You know, nowadays they would have probably gone to, like, you know, the, uh, the belt bowl or something, you know, pretty decent with that kind of record. So... I would argue one reason that the Tennessee job is better than Mississippi State or Ole Miss is because you play in the East and not the West. And that's that's a, that's something. There's something to that. But that said, Georgia is looking like they're finally turning into a power. Mullen had a great first year at Florida. Uh, you know, Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri. I mean, they can be. Their teams at Tennessee right now, you know, is struggling to beat. Five, you know, 15 years ago, those were gimme wins for for, for Tennessee. Now they're at the point where it's at, on their best day. It's a coin flip. Yeah. Rippy, what do you think? I think I fixed my survey. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure what was up with that. So if you try to take it in the last like 10 minutes, thank you. We try again. Um, <laughs> We've reached the point where we're now asking a lot of people. Yeah, sorry. Um, I don't know what was up with that, but it should be all good. Uh, no, I still think Tennessee's a better job. More support. Hey, Dad, I, I, I cannot say this without somebody listening and going, oh, that's such a you're an Ole Miss guy I, thing to say. It's okay. So. So forgive me, because you yeah. said initially you don't think Ole Miss is in the conversation, you don't think it's a better job, which would say that Mississippi State is a better job than Ole Miss is. It is interesting to me that when you see rankings of the jobs in the SEC or you see national guys talking about the Ole Miss job, the Mississippi State job, almost always you see the Ole Miss job ranked ahead of Mississippi State, even if it's only a spot or two. So, so why is it that locally it would be viewed that Mississippi State's a better job, but nationally Ole Miss is viewed as a better job? That's a great question that I don't really have the answer to. Do, do you agree PR with the department. premise, though, of what I'm saying? That that what, that Tennessee is a better – what is the premise? No, no, no. no. When, when you take Ole Miss and Mississippi State, that the, the national perception or those national yes. rankings – nationally people out. will tell you that Ole Miss is a better job for whatever reason. Yeah. So what do you think the reason is? It befuddles me. I don't know the answer. Porky, what, do you, what do you think the reason is? We got to come back to this. All right. Borky said he couldn't put together a concise thought in 20 seconds. That's a fair right. thing to think. We will, uh, we will come back to this. Uh, but next, we're going to talk some college baseball. And we will do that with David DeLucci on the Farm Bureau phone line. All right, we'll come back to the conversation about perception of the Ole Miss and Mississippi State's perception. Started out by talking about how they compare to Tennessee as a football job, but then uh, we kind of got into the conversation about what the perception is of the, uh, of the two schools nationally and why Ole Miss is perceived to be a better job nationally, though local people would argue the other way around. But first we're going to depart from that just a bit and chat with uh, David DeLucci, college baseball analyst with the SEC Network and ESPN, and uh, maybe a guy that's got to start paying property taxes in the state of Georgia. He's on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com. And go with the home team. Did, did you finally leave Athens in the rearview mirror? Yeah, I did. I did. I I, uh, I had a great time there. Uh, I left with a lot of fishing spots, so it was hard for me to get on the plane to come back uh, <laughs> home. But uh, but it was a good. Hey, how good is Georgia? Man, Georgia is really really good, and um, they're winning with pitching and defense and their pitching is fabulous i got to watch them uh play against vanderbilt and then georgia tech both of those teams came in uh swing the bats really well vanderbilt was averaging 8.4 runs a game and in the three game series vander uh georgia pitching staff held them down to a total of seven runs and the sunday game was a one hitter uh, Georgia Tech was on fire. They had played and beat uh, Auburn midweek, North Carolina. That was number seven. And Louisville, that was number four. And then Georgia shut them down um, 
the pitching is fabulous, man. And and I I believe they truly deserve the number two ranking. Uh, they've done it missing about four of their players, the injuries. Two of those guys are back in the lineup. They're waiting for two more to come back. And, and, and to be able to hold that position and play as well as they are, when they get everybody back, I think they're going to be even more dangerous. So Georgia on top of the East at nine and three. You've got a three-way tie on top of the West at eight and four with Arkansas, Ole Miss, and LSU. Uh, virtual tie there with Texas A&M as well, who's got the uh, the one um, tie, and then Mississippi State and Auburn at seven and five. So David, I, I asked the question a little while ago. We were kind of kicking this around. If if somebody tied you down and said you have to predict the winner of the SEC West. How would you begin to answer that question? I would back my way out of that out of that conversation. <laughs> I, want, I want no part of that because um, I think we saw what Mississippi State is capable of early in the year. Uh, every team is uh, is expected to go through a rough spot, and and lots of times, um, as we saw State last year, it's the hottest team at the end that makes a run to Omaha. So I think State is going to get back on track. Um, Ole Miss is playing really, really well. I mean, they are killing the ball. Uh, I think that's a team that we all kind of expected to be there uh, toward the end of the season when the dust clears. Um, Arkansas, uh, they just know how to win, man. So I think it's difficult. I think Auburn's going to play better. Um, I, I do not even want to attempt to pick a winner right now because they're so close. And, uh, and, and these teams, as we see the SEC every single year, they're just going to beat each other up. And uh, we'll see some injuries that may cost some teams positions uh, toward the end. But um, it's, it's, the West is so much more competitive this year. They're stronger teams. And, um, and it's just going to boil down to the hottest team. And right now we don't know who that's going to be. And, and David, we we go to the halfway point this weekend, so everybody will have 15 games played after this weekend. Uh, yeah, there's a chance that that somebody's going to have 10 or 11 wins out of the West. But after this weekend, you get to where the West is playing the West just about every weekend. So that beating up on each other that you were talking about, that's uh, a lot of words to ask a question. The question is, what's the number of wins that will be good enough to win the West? Goodness. Um. Well, what, well, I, I mean, does sixteen get it done? Does it take seventeen? Is it going to take eighteen? It may. It, it may be a seventeen win team that does it. I mean, um, I just don't know, man, because because it it we're 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 so even from top to bottom, and, and we've seen it this year already. We've seen teams that. Uh, we'll win two out of three unexpectedly and then turn around the next weekend and lose two out of three. We watched LSU surprise the heck out of everybody and completely turning around their offense and pitching staff. So it may be a 17-win team that wins the West. Uh, what worries me is because you have all of these people uh, nationwide that are are talking up the Pac-12 and how good they are this year, which they're much improved with Stanford and UCLA at the top and Oregon State. You know, when when you see a 17-win SEC team, there are a lot of the haters that are going to say it's just not a competitive 
conference this year, and that couldn't huh. be anywhere further from the truth. When you watch Jake Mangum play, uh, he, he set last weekend the uh, the all-time hits record at Mississippi State. Uh, he's on his way to breaking Eddie Furness's record of, what, 352, uh, the one that he set at LSU. I know you're a fan of Jake Mangum. We've talked with you about him before, but but how do you describe the way he plays the game? I think Jake Mangum is um, is a dynamic player that single handedly can will his team to win. Uh, Jake Mangum drives the train, and uh, and the rest of the team elevates their game because of him. And there's very few individuals. Uh, in college sports and in, in the big leagues that can do that. And it shows you um, the magnitude of the effect he has, not only in the clubhouse but on the field. But uh, this young man can do it all. He, he, is, a, a, he is a gamer. Um, if, you look that, if you look that up, that term up in the dictionary, there's a picture of Jake Mangum in there because um, he's not going to wow you in, in, the, in the era that you, you talk about five tool guys, and, and you got to be above average doing this and above average doing that. Jake Mangum is is just a good baseball player, and and he, he's one of those guys that if you get him in pro ball, he's steadily going to to outplay the level that he's at. And I hope there's a team that appreciates him for for what he is, and uh, and allows him to go up the ranks because these these guys like this. These are guys you pull for for their whole career because they do it right and they play the game the way it's supposed to be. How do you project him in, in the big leagues? And I, I guess I asked that question not from as a, a college baseball analyst, but from having played for 14 years uh, in, in the major leagues. He, he doesn't, or at least hasn't, shown the major power numbers. Is there a place for him in the big leagues to have a long career? Yeah, I think... I think his power will increase as he gets older and, and develops what we call man strength. Um, but but that's not his game, right? Jake Mangum doesn't um, he, he doesn't wait for a drivable pitch. That was the knock against Jake was he didn't take it enough walks because he goes up there and he sees a strike that he can handle and he's going to lace it for a single or a double. And occasionally, with the count in his favor, he'll he'll try to drive the ball. But what they want to see at the next level is somebody that can drive the ball a little more um, than, than what Jake is doing right now. If I, if I was to draft him and if I was a major league manager, Jake Mangum to me would be the guy that is a, a fourth outfielder in the major leagues, and he's the first guy that's going to come off the bench for me to pinch hit uh, or pinch run. He, he's just an all-around quality uh, player, Which, very athletic, and and he's a guy that in the clubhouse I don't have to second guess anything that he does. I can hand over a workout program and turn my back and and uh, know that he's going to do everything I ask of him. Uh, and David, isn't that how you broke into the big leagues as, as the fourth exactly outfielder with the Orioles? I I I did. I had a little more power. Um, that right. that was one of the things that, that I, I I had a little a little better. Uh, if you went across the tools, um, and and Jake has the power, he just that's not what Mississippi State needs out of him. So he's going to have to adapt to whatever team uh, needs him to do. And uh, but but you, you, let me tell you something: 
Buck Showalter, as long as Buck Showalter is managing a team in the major leagues, this is a young man that he he will draft and will love to have on his squad. It's very similar to the way Buck Showalter, who was former Mississippi State superstar, currently the manager for the Baltimore Orioles. Buck loves to have guys uh, in, in his clubhouse like a Jake Mangum. There's no question uh, that he, if he gets the opportunity, Jake will end up playing under him somewhere because Buck likes gamers, and and, um, and you know I, I I just I want Jake to get the chance, and once he gets drafted, to me that's going to be the hardest part yeah. is uh, is for him to get drafted. Once he gets in the system, it's 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 on, it's game on, and he'll work his way up. Good stuff, man. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you soon. Yep, thanks for having me. Y'all take care. Sports. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Say that again. Please say it. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Sorry, poorly timed joke, completely inappropriate. On Super Talk Mississippi. Quick look at the Masters leader, uh, leaderboard. At three under par, Justin Harding, Adam Scott, John Rahm, Kevin Kisner, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, and Brooks Kepka. Tiger Woods, by the way, finished his round with a two under 70. He is one shot off the lead, currently tied for eighth. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad had to scoot out to Mississippi State's football practice. Brian Scott Rippey in studio as well. And now... On the Farm Bureau phone line, John Gassaway from ESPN.com. This is going to kind of be our putting a bow on the college basketball season and also kind of peeking ahead to uh, to next year with the backdrop of some of the, the coaching changes. John, appreciate a, a few minutes of your time. Uh, the, the folks that wanted to jump on this game is boring on Monday night, just six or seven minutes in, uh, had their opinions changed pretty dramatically. How good or... or not good, I guess, if your opinion is that, was the national championship game. Yeah, those first few minutes were just uh, kind of delicious for me. I just parked myself in front of uh, Twitter and just let it all wash over me because people were so <laughs> negative. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it, it can't stay that way. I mean, we've only had one national championship game ever, you know, stay that way, and that was Butler-UConn in 2011. The, the odds are it, it's just going to be a, a normal game. You know, it might not be great, but it's going to be normal. And it turned out to be fantastic instead, you know, with uh, going overtime on a clutch shot with 14 seconds left, uh, everything you would want, some controversy, you know, with replay, uh, just everything that a national championship game should be. So it was fantastic, and it was great in a surprising way because, needless to say, these are two great defenses yet on this night. It was the offenses, and for both teams, very much, that were getting it done. And uh, it was highly entertaining, uh, a fitting cap to uh, a good season. Could we look up and see Virginia in this same spot a year from now? We could, yeah. Uh, it, it A lot depends on what happened. I mean, of course, we assume, and you never know anything about anybody, so put that asterisk by this entire uh, discussion. But we do assume that uh, DeAndre Hunter is – long gone and seeing him projected as high as like number five in the draft uh seeing some talk that uh, ty jerome could be a late first round pick i can well believe it uh you know from certain 
quarters, you can say that he had the best uh, tournament of any Virginia player on offense, certainly the most versatile tournament. Uh, but, you know, whether or not the, the next level will bite on him at this point remains to be seen. Uh, if they did not, my goodness, you're looking at a team that brings back Jerome, Guy, Diakite, Clark. Uh, they still got Key. You know, the only seniors in the rotation were, uh, were Jack Salt. So, uh, this, this could be a, we could look up and see Virginia, uh, close to here, uh, a year from now. And anyway, even if they do lose Jerome, you know, Tony Bound's got a history here. He's, uh, He's been pretty good for a pretty long time, so even if Jerome goes away, I, I expect the Cavaliers to be heard from next season. Yeah, even if they're not playing for the national title, uh, seeing them in the second weekend of the tournament certainly I don't think would be a surprise to uh, to anyone. Um, you, you, you mentioned Tony Bennett, and I guess there are a lot of ways that you could go in answering this question, but how important is coaching in college basketball? Um, well, Tony Bennett is the argument that coaching is everything because before he got to Virginia, Virginia was nowhere and doing nothing. Virginia hadn't done anything, you know, in some measures since the Ralph Sampson years and certainly hadn't done anything since the 90s. Right. And now look, and, you know, as if further proof is needed, uh, Bennett did much the same thing at even a tougher spot in Washington State. He had them competitive. Um, so, you know. Sweet 16, right? What's that? Yeah, exactly. Sweet 16, yeah. And the, so he is the argument that coaching definitely matters. And I think that uh, a guy of Bennett's caliber going to programs like Washington State and to Virginia shows that coaching absolutely can be everything. The flip side of that is, you know, at your true uh, blue chip programs, it, it can sometimes feel that. You only have to be, you know, good. You don't have to be great, but you only have to be good to succeed at the places where coaches have always succeeded. Um, and UCLA is a good example of that because even though the Bruins can certainly fall on their faces from time to time, if you just look at it, you know, over the spans of their tenures at Westwood, whether you're talking about Steve Alford or Ben Howland or uh, even back to Steve Lavin, these are guys who recruit on a level that's, you know, like top 10 in the country, and they win about 70% of their games. You know, that, that's the floor underneath them. So sometimes it seems like the, the program can carry you. That certainly didn't work for Billy Gillespie at uh, Kentucky, don't get me wrong. Right. You can, cert- you can certainly go badly awry and, and just snap hook it into the rough. Sure you can. But I think sometimes the, the program can, uh, can furnish a lot of what a coach needs. And other times, as Bennett shows, or indeed as Chris Beard shows, uh, coaching can be everything. Well, the, the reason I asked the question w- would be this list. Nate Oates, we'll see. Eric Musselman, Bruce Pearl, Michael White, um, Tom Crean, John Calipari, Will we- Wade, maybe. Kermit Davis, Ben Howland, Conzo Martin, Frank Martin, Rick Barnes, Buzz Williams, and then who knows, we'll see with Jerry Stackhouse. The SEC, from a coaching standpoint, all of a sudden is kind of a murderer's row. People are automatically saying, okay, more upgrades in coaches in the SEC automatically makes the league harder. Is that true? <laughs> well, you know, you've got a, a big conference just in terms of the population of teams, and mm-hmm. you've got a lot of great coaches. Now, I would say that the the roster of coaches that you read off there is more accomplished uh, on the whole 
and I don't want to start a fight here, but uh, it's just true. You're catching these coaches at a stage in their careers where they're accomplished overall than a like number 10. However, the Big Ten was stronger this year, top to bottom statistically. And as the Big Ten learned the hard way, and specifically a team like Indiana learned the hard way, the number of losses that have to happen is still the same, no matter how good the teams are and no matter how good the coaches are. So um, you will still see uh, really good teams clustered around 500 in the SEC. But uh, this, what's happened with this conference in the past two years is a great example of how we accommodate ourselves to revolutionary changes when they happen incrementally because if i could go back like three years and grab either of us and say you know the sec is going to send this many teams to the ncaa tournament each of you know two consecutive years and they're going to have the following coaches we would just be amazed and that is what the the conference has pulled off and the it's it's never been a better time for uh, sec basketball these are these are golden years i think i'm not sure i'm doing the math right but let me just make sure that i'm understanding what you're saying there are going to be 126 losses in SEC games. Are, are you just yeah, talking about the distribution of those losses yeah. is going to change, yeah. but the number of losses is going to remain the same? Exactly. Those, those losses have to land somewhere, and the Big Ten in 2019 just happens to be a good example because um, every team, and you, do, you don't usually see this until recently, You know, a team like Rutgers has struggled more than what I'm about to say, but this season, um, at least going into Selection Sunday, I frankly haven't looked at the end-of-season numbers, but every team in the Big Ten was within the top 75 nationally. So that's that's quite a statement, and it's, it's yeah. tougher for the Big Ten or the SEC to do that than it is Big 12, which is uh, significantly smaller. So when you've got that population of teams that are that good, you know, people are beating up on each other, and among other things, it, it does pose a bit of a an evaluative challenge to uh, the men's basketball committee when they're offering bids for the NCAA tournament. But, okay, that's an interesting uh, yeah. point. I, I was gonna, yeah. Is that the biggest argument, if you're a power conference, for the use of analytics and the use of net in determining who gets into the tournament? Yeah, it is. because, um, And we saw a movement even as early as this year. I'm not crediting it to the net you know, per se. But you, know, we, you saw some uh, significantly under 500 conference records get into uh, the NCAA tournament, certainly Oklahoma comes to mind. And uh, it really wasn't that big a deal. Not many hackles were raised against it. In terms of selection, that was one of the quietest uh, selection Sundays I can remember. People were a bit uh, up in arms about Michigan State being put in the same region as Duke. That turned out to be kind of a correct thing to be up in arms about, but for the two <laughs> side. Uh, but in terms of selection, it was, you know, having these power conference teams that were under 500, uh, didn't seem like that big a deal. So that, you know, that might be one left-handed compliment we can give them that is that it's, it's recognizing that, uh, those teams that have a lot of losses can still be, uh, strong nationally. John, really appreciate your time. It's been fun visiting with you in the uh, final month or so of the season, and uh, hope we can uh, can do it again next year uh, when when we get things rolling in November. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll look forward to that. Absolutely. That's John Gassaway from ESPN.com, who brings a little bit sports talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey for this 5 o'clock hour on Thursday. You know, if we were in college football season right now, what would I say, Borky? 
How long have you worked remember. I would say welcome to the weekend. You would say that on Thursdays, wouldn't you? During football season, 5 o'clock Thursday afternoon, welcome to the weekend. But why is it the weekend on football season? Have you ever been in a college town on a home football weekend on a Thursday? If that doesn't feel like the start of the weekend to you, then you're doing it wrong. I would argue it's not strictly to football. Like, particularly with the way people are going with Friday class now. Well, maybe so. You're trying to make it more complicated well, than it is. But then also normal people... has a people, different feeling like, during football season. Yeah, they... Oh, I would agree with that. They take Friday like a half day or, or work from home or something. It's different. Who's playing with a yellow golf ball? Who do you Bubba. think? Oh, the same guy that's wearing a black golf glove. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. At Mississippi Land Bank, they've been financing land for a little over 100 years. They've kind of got it figured out. So whether it's financing or refinancing, you need to buy some equipment, you need to get a crop loan, whether you're an individual or a group or this is for a business, Mississippi Land Bank can help because they know the lay of the land. All right, time for the college football fix. Music won't play. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to their website, buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built for tough, but don't stop there. Here we go. You can find out all about the SUVs, the cars that Ford has to offer. Not only is the F-Series the best-selling truck in America, but Ford cars, trucks, and SUVs, best-selling brand in America. That's a reason. There's a reason why. There's a reason why more people buy Fords than anybody else or any other brand. Those are the best that are out there. Check one out. Drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So what's this Nick's, Nick Bosa story all about? Uh, so he is in the news this week because he had what is being labeled controversial old tweets. You know how the media likes to do this. They did it to Kyler Murray on the night he won the Heisman Trophy. Old tweets surfaced that were insensitive on the night he won the Heisman Trophy. Really, it was just media digging them up, but that's not the point. Nick Bosa uh, deleted, went through and scrubbed his old social media account, specifically Twitter, because he had a history of tweeting politically charged things, specifically support of President Donald Trump and past Republican presidents, and there were some anti-Colin Kaepernick stuff on his Twitter. So he went through and scrubbed it all, and now it is a controversy because those opinions are ones that he held. And his reason for it was, well, I might end up in a place like San Francisco, (laughs) (laughs) and they wouldn't really take too kindly to that there. And now it's a controversy today because he shared politically charged right-leaning opinions on Twitter. All right, so he called Kaepernick a clown, and he called Trump the goat. Yes. Basically is what it comes down to. Is it really a controversy, though? Like, no team is never drafting him, like, not going to draft him because of that. No, Rippy, here's the thing. It's just a bunch of angry people on the internet. 99% of people don't really care, but what struck me about it is, and it's obvious, but the hypocrisy specifically in sports media, and sports personalities in general, every time we have a player 
LeBron James, for example, is politically active. He campaigned for a Democratic candidate for president in 2016. They are heroic. They're brave. They're athletes speaking out, and it's encouraged when it is from a left-leaning side. But when a player has political views that are on the right side of the aisle, it is a controversy, and he needs to delete it in order to not be up against a mob. And if we are going to, as sports media, if sports media is going to encourage this, if former players and coaches are going to encourage political activism, Steve Kerr for the Warriors is politically active, Greg Popovich is politically active, a bunch of NBA and NFL players are politically active, and that's all supported because it's one side. But the second a player has opinions from the other side, he has to hide it. And that hypocrisy, I think, is a big problem. If we're going to encourage political advocacy, we need to support it no matter what side they're coming from. Because I I don't care one way or the other. So so you're saying if Nick Bosa had tweeted that Colin Kaepernick is a hero and Barack Obama is the GOAT, he's all good. Absolutely, 100%. He doesn't have to scrub anything from his social media accounts. Nothing. I am basically in lockstep agreement with you on that. It's not fair. I know that sound, that's a silly phrase because that's what children say, but it's not fair. If you're going to encourage political advocacy, you have to allow people like Joey Bosa to not feel like they need to scrub their accounts and hide their beliefs. Well, and... Uh, Nick Bosa, I mean, not Joey, excuse me. A, a, a bigger... A bigger maybe a bigger idea here in all of this is that in our current um, social media-fueled world, there is no room for dissenting opinion if the dissenting opinion is conservative. Do you disagree with that, Rippy? Um. I mean, I don't really know. I just have a hard time getting, like, up in arms, like, about stuff like this. Because, like, they get called, like, controversies. Like, I see what Borky's saying, but they get called controversies. But, like, less than 20% of the country is on Twitter. Like, over 80% of the country had no idea this happened more than likely. So, like... But they do really now because con- it ran in the USA Today. Yeah, today. I guess that's fair. But, like... More than less than 20% of the country doesn't read the USA Today. More than well, that was a mouthful. Um, but, but I, I you, get what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I probably generally agree with what you're saying. It's just I I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I like at what point do we realize like 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 take Twitter and like social media for what it is and realize that like none of it actually matters. But it does matter, doesn't it? How? You don't think hiring decisions and firing decisions are based on social media activity in part? Oh, sure. But, like, if you're posting, like, vile stuff or whatever in a country, in a company, excuse me, does, like, its homework, but, like, Joey Bosa tweeting, like, pro-Trump stuff, I don't think that really influences anyone's decision as to whether to make him an employee of their organization. Michael Jordan said it best, didn't he? Republicans, Republicans buy, buy sneakers, sneakers too. too. That's why he just kept his mouth shut. And maybe that's what Nick Bosa's understanding is that 
And I think Maybe that's I'm the better right, off just to keep my mouth shut. And that's the right move, I think. Unless you just desperately want to, if you're an athlete, you probably should just avoid politics. If you follow me on social media, you'll never see a political opinion come from me on social media. It'll never happen. Because of the few people that follow me on Twitter, you follow me for my stupidity and sports opinions. You don't follow me for politics. I know that, and politics are divisive. So I get Wait, people that. follow you on Twitter? Not many. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they do, but not many. I, but I, I'm not going to divide people. I think that's the best move for athletes to make. But I don't care when they do it. Like LeBron James campaigning for a Democratic presidential candidate, I couldn't have cared less. Do what you want. It's your life. It's your platform. Whatever. But if you're going to encourage that, you have to encourage the other side as well. All right. You say none of your hot takes divide people? Well, some of them do, but it's, it, it, they at least know what's coming when, when they come out, you know? C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Kelso and Ocean Springs, social media will be the end of us all. Eh, maybe. I don't know. Ron says, I guess the left-wing media is going to jump all over Stephen A. Smith about his comments putting down the Democratic Party and said that they all needed to vote Republican. Did he? I don't know, but if that happened or happens, I'm sure they will. Robert in Oak Grove says that Rippy is being naive. And <laughs> Keith suggests that Rippy needs to listen to the JT show. <laughs> How about being naive by saying that like Twitter doesn't really matter? Like, like it, You're it, right, it doesn't, but it has influence on companies in the way they market and the way they do a lot of things and maybe I mean, it shouldn't guess, but, but like, it, it does 22 percent of the people are on twitter like i imagine like active accounts are like another third knocked off so like it's like less than 20 percent of the country does it really matter makes you think sports talk mississippi that's your college football fix driven by ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. More coming up with you when we continue. We'll look at the updated Masters leaderboard when we come back. From Dan in Charleston, Borky, here's a happy thought. Congrats on finding a house. Good luck. Fun's just beginning. They left, and I, I hate that it's just the frame. They left in the backyard a full-sized frame for a batting cage. I, like a full-on batting cage that you see, like at college baseball fields, a full batting cage. But so two, you don't have the net. We don't have the net, and two of the poles are broken. So there's really no point of trying to salvage it. But so man, you're going to pull out, pull up the rest of the poles, and have to pull them out of concrete. Oh, that's part of the the deal with uh, the agreement on the house is that they get rid of it. When, when I saw it at first, I thought, oh, please keep it, please keep it, and. Now it's just junk. But whatever whatever kid that they had that lived there, they have all grown children now. They've up and moved out. That's why they're moving. Um, left a batting cage in the back, and I wish I could still keep that thing. So, so how did you approach the offer this time? We kind of lucked out and got in with them before it even got publicly listed. So you gave them just what they were asking. We gave no them exactly what on. they were asking. No questions. It passed the uh, disclosure, and of course we'll get an inspection as well. But the disclosure looked good, and so we just went for it. Hmm. Good for you, man. Uh, I, I was not gonna let uh, my my poor wife. She was crushed when we lost that first house, so I was not gonna let that happen again. And uh, made sure that if she loved it, we were gonna get it. 
Leaderboard at the Masters. What's going on right now? Brooks Kepka is in solo first place. He is five under through 14. He is playing the par 5 15th right now. One shot behind him, Ian Poulter, who is four under through 17, uh, headed to the 18th tee box. Justin Harding, Adam Scott, John Rahm, uh, Kiradek, how do you say his last name? Affy Bonrat. Kiradek Affy Bonrat is three under par. Kevin Kisner, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, all three under par as well. Those last four guys still on the course, and so a chance to move up. Corey Connors, who qualified because he won last week in San Antonio? Is that where the Valero was? TBZ San Antonio. Uh, won last week. So he was a Monday qualifier last week. Won the golf tournament. Qualified, and he is uh, two under par, tied for 10th. Do you Tiger see who he beat in that Monday qualifier in a playoff? Uh, I did. Braden Six Thornberry. Six guys, right? Braden Thornberry was one of them? Yeah. A six-way playoff. And, uh, in fact, Braden Thornberry tweeted about that. He's like, so I lose in a six-way playoff to a guy who goes on to win the tournament and is now playing at Augusta. Kind of a crazy world we live in. Well, hey, now he can come uh, back to Mississippi and win and qualify for the Masters now. That's right. Because the winner of the Sanderson Farms Championship this year will earn a spot in the Masters. And the uh, the total allotment of FedEx points goes along with winning that tournament as uh, as well. Really, uh, really cool stuff. Some big names under par today. Tiger Woods at 2-under, Ricky Fowler at 2-under, Phil Mickelson is at 2-under through 14. He's had kind of an up-and-down round today. Mickelson uh, made the turn at 2-under, made back-to-back bogeys on 10 and 11, then followed it up with back-to-back birdies on 12 and 13. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood is 1-under par. The ageless wonder Bernhard Langer shoots a 71 in contention. Pretty good leaderboard at the Masters. There wasn't a ton of talk about Brooks Kepka going in, was there? With the exception of his bikini picture, no. It's a pretty bad look. He wore a bikini? Yeah, apparently he and uh, his um, supermodel girlfriend or model girlfriend, Jenna Sims, were on vacation somewhere. and Traded clothes? No, they took pictures both wearing a thong bikini from behind and i think the uh, the instagram caption was which one wore it better most of that guy's shown figuratively and literally in a long time <laughs> <sighs> so there you go hey uh 23 players have been invited to be in nashville in about a week and a half for the nfl draft just because you're invited doesn't guarantee that you are a first-round selection. But it means that it's likely that you're going to be a first-round selection. bunch of SEC guys, a couple of guys from the state of Mississippi. Josh Allen from Kentucky. DeAndre Baker from Georgia. Josh Jacobs from Alabama, who some expect to be the first running back taken. Drew Locke from Missouri. DK Metcalf from Ole Miss. Montez Sweat from Mississippi State, Juwan Taylor from Florida, Devin White from LSU, Greedy Williams also from LSU, and then a couple of more linemen from Alabama, Jonah Williams and Quinnen Williams. 
How many Ole Miss Mississippi State guys are going to end up going in the first round? You've got two that have been invited to the draft. Safe to say DK Metcalf's going to be a first round draft pick. Montez Sweat. Certainly safe to say Montez Sweat going to be a first round draft pick. Those are the two that were invited. And then the other questions that are out there, Jonathan Abram from Mississippi State, Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State, A.J. Brown from Ole Miss, Greg Little from Ole Miss. I mean, those are the ones that could potentially be first-round draft picks. Yeah, I've seen Little fall pretty dramatically on a few boards. There was one mock I saw yesterday where he was not in the first three rounds. So I don't know what the deal is there. Didn't test all that well, but, I, I mean... He gave up what one quarterback pressure and all of or one sack or one quarterback pressure in all of last season. I mean, he's an exceptional pass blocker, and the SEC where you're facing NFL defensive ends every single Saturday. So I was surprised by that. I mean, there's a reason I guess that he would have dropped on everybody's board, but at the same time, feels like if Greg Little is available in the third round, late in the third round, early in the fourth round. You throw a parade. Somebody's going to be getting a pretty good value, right? Oh, you throw a parade. Yeah. By the way, uh, Rippy's boy Bryson DeChambeau just made another birdie. He is four under, one shot off the lead. You ended up picking him. I did. I had to stick to my word as much as it's going to kill me if he wins. Is there a point where you're going to switch and decide that you like Bryson DeChambeau? No, because if he does win, he's going to tap in like a two-and-a-half-footer on Sunday with the flag stick in and then explain everyone why he did it, and I'm going to probably break my television. Literally or figuratively? That's like my new question. I guess that's for you to decide. See how angry I am when that yeah. Because like, I'm, it's going to help me out a lot Like if he wins. But, man, it's going to be mixed emotions. Um, got a, a text message on the C Spire text line it says Elton Jenkins on some boards as a potential first rounder. That might be the better question. It's like which guy at each school like could like sneak into the first round. Abram could sneak into the first round, and AJ Brown could sneak into the first round as well. So that's probably the guys that are swaying the number here. Probably so. You know the the thing that's interesting to me, you've seen projections where Jonathan Abram could be like a top 15 pick. And then other projections where he's not in the first round. So which is it? I wonder if I mean, I guess it just depends on the team. Yeah, as always. I I wonder if it is dependent on the lack of, one, the need for quarterback, and two, the lack of quarterbacks to begin with. So you have a bunch of teams that I mean, usually people just draft quarterbacks to draft them, but there's an ever-growing thought that there may not be many. There may be just two taken in the first round in some projections I've seen where it would just be Haskins and Kyler Murray and other teams that maybe would need one down the line or pick one in years past because the class is so weak are going to go elsewhere. So the sway could be, is there two first-round quarterbacks or is there five first-round quarterbacks or six even in some cases? Yeah, and it, doesn't it feel like four is probably the number? The Daniel Jones and Drew Locke are the other two that go in the first round? Mm-hmm. I just, if you're... There are so few NFL teams that need a quarterback right now. So if you're Cincinnati, for example, there are, there are thoughts that Cincinnati's going to draft a quarterback this year. 
you have so many other positions where you have problems and you're fine at quarterback. Andy Dalton will never win you a Super Bowl, but he is good. He's a good NFL quarterback who you can win with and build around before the guy comes. So why are you going to draft, even though he projects pretty well, this kid from Duke who didn't put up any kind of numbers and yeah, he's a tall guy, but you're just not sure. He's a prospect instead of a of a franchise guy, at least right now. Why are you picking him instead of getting a linebacker or a pass rush that you need far more than a quarterback right now? Because there's an infatuation with having a franchise quarterback. But if you need a franchise quarterback in this draft, you could literally get, a, like for like a couple players in a second-round pick, Josh Rosen, who's better than probably any of these quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And you would get him for as dirt cheap as you'd ever get a quarterback of that caliber, ever. Oh, and Russell Wilson will be a free agent next year. Maybe. Maybe. Sports Talk Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.